I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Flames. Flames. From the side of my face. Heaving. Keep going. You're just supposed to look at me like I'm an insane bitch. I do that all the time. Okay, well, I'm just giving you more fodder. (laughs) You know, they keep saying they're going to remake Clue or they're going to do like a reboot. They of better Clue. not. And I think like Ryan Reynolds. I will is really have flames from the side of my face if they do that. I, I just don't understand like who needs that. Like Nobody asked for that. That's like, okay, we can remake a lot of things that didn't need to be remade, but we all universally acknowledge the original is the only thing you need. There's no. Th- nothing's ever going to be Madeline Kahn well, or Eileen Brennan or Tim Curry or so cul- Christopher Lloyd. It's so culty that there's like probably not a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, I, I need to see a new version of it because they didn't even see the fucking original. And also the board games for like sort of basic bitches uh, don't really have anything else better to do with their time. A lot of people don't even do know how to puzzle. play the board game, I think. It's just like the, you know, deductive reasoning stuff, but it's kind of robotic it's actually not very strategic the the game the the mechanic of the game is not you know particularly intellectual yeah but we're obviously big clue heads because you know we once had that clue dinner party where we reenacted we had we invited the exact number of characters and everybody had to dress up and i went all out on the invitations but they look like little pieces and i went and this this wasn't no flapper party from dynasty stuff i think everybody was like seriously tuned into the costume oh well everybody that got invited to that clue dinner party i think is like still our bestest friends ever because they were just so enamored with getting a exclusive invitation i I think clue is like the cement that has bonded all of our friendships yeah maybe that's like how we know if we like people or not we're like oh do you like the 1988 movie clue who's she Uh, oh bye (laughs) i'm uh, gonna go wash my hair yeah it's it's pretty sad but i don't know 
we f- we find ways to make friends. I guess that's that's what humans do. So I love like eighties comedies, and it just makes me so sad that we don't really make movies like that anymore. Like those late eighties, early nineties comedies, well, like know, Mannequin, a different and, world. You know, with like From animated opening in. credits. Well, I mean, this this is kind of like how that weird Memphis design philosophy has come back, which I identified two or three years ago because I was trying to buy funky Japanese dinnerware from the 80s, which basically just means it's got like cutouts and it all comes in weird watermelon colors and like... Catherine O'Hara was using it to eat on the side of yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah, it, it's like there's so much whimsy from this movement and it totally translates in these like 80s movie intro title card whatever extravaganzas yeah the sally cruikshank i think we all have sally cruikshank to think i i mean i don't know i think there was some japanese design that kind of like underpinned it too that came from the late 70s which also i mean sally cruikshank was doing it from then too but well you kind of are starting to get a little bit of that in dynasty with like the weird color choices and stuff now that jeff's office is all finished i'm starting to see like how that 80s Mm. palette how we get to that point where it's like because like what the Sally Cruikshank slash Memphis design, whatever that stuff was, was all about primary colors and like whimsy. And this, even if it's like sort of a sort of a brighter shade of blue, it's still very adult and sophisticated and understated. Understated. There's like giant like metal sculptures okay, so like let's in the just middle talk of about, the office. Let's just talk about it. Okay, so the intro credits to uh, Ruthless People is probably the highest example of what we're talking about. It's like basically like yellow and hot pink and well, the, co- like, well, the yeah. animation is always like it an was... alligator coming out of a suitcase and like a stretched ginger jar lamp. Why were lamps like such a thing in like these well, animated Well, then there's intros? a lot of like clock faces too. Yeah, you that's that too. Like people have um, like arrow So it's all noses. extreme cartoon and like I'm not getting that from I'm not Jeff's saying that they're office. doing that in Dynasty. I'm just saying even here in the early 80s, I can see us moving in that direction where there's a weird color palette. Like, whatever happening in Jeff's office where there's, like, a crazy silhouette of a metal sculpture against this, like, bright teal color, I mean, that's... Nobody was doing stuff like that No, no, before. no, that's not true. That's the uh, the, the typical birds-in-flight sculpture. That, that's that been going on since the late 60s. There's other sculptures in there besides those 60s bird sculptures, too. There's... there's a, Yeah, there's the other one that's, like, a, a 50s... Kind uh, it's of not one. Picasso. I forget the sculptor who did those, but that's from, like before so okay that's but just they modern weren't putting they weren't we're putting about. modern art against a crazy shade of blue i don't think that, that has lead in crazy. it what's crazy about it is what's in it anyway i can see how we're sort of going in that direction but yeah it's funny how like that was an accepted thing where like the opening credits of a movie were like child animation <laughs> and in some ways were probably better than the rest of the movie so like the other one is like lover boy mannequin mannequin that's right with all the egyptian stuff which was also so well, relevant like in the a, memphis design movement well yeah. that's yeah well that's true but that's almost that one's like a prologue because it's telling you all about kim cattrall's life before she landed in philadelphia well if you watch any of these these animated intros though they were sort of you know giving you the the story ahead of time like greek chorus style you know sort of i mean i think the mannequin one was more literal the other ones were like the lover boy one was like cars 
humping each other or something. I don't know. Yeah, but with a, a pizza with alligator teeth or something. Oh, it, yeah, because that's what Patrick Dempsey serves in the movie, alligator pizza. Right. If you want hot sex with Patrick Dempsey, order anchovies on your pizza. There's something like so escapist and comforting about these moments in 80s filmmaking because... It's, it almost feels like summer, and it is summer now. Well, where we are, it's basically summer. They're just sort of like bright, warm, carefree, you know? Like something something about this whole aesthetic was just, you know, not... Not re- giving any fuck. Yeah, and I, I get it because in the 80s, well, at least the mid to late 80s, everybody had like all this money, and everybody was so optimistic. So these things like just were just sort of like fluffy and exciting and well i can see why people are into it now because we've mined everything like mid-century modern has come back a bunch of times coastal and i know i, I remember like things nobody brought 80s back design was like 80s. something like we used to make fun of and like anybody with taste up until about 10 years ago would have even made fun of but it's sort of the last thing that took a stand even if it was just sort of comical and maybe even nihilistic in some ways, like it was sort of anti-design. Well, and something about younger generations have latched onto it too, because like the other day on one of the Drag Race episodes, the a younger contestant did like a whole Burton, Ernie, Juggalo, Memphis, like, PB Playhouse kind of thing. Yeah, it's like where? How did you learn about this? Oh yeah, that's the, like PB's You're Playhouse like might have been Memphis design philosophy in live action. Well, oh, I mean, obviously it was recorded, but live know. action to in, me that was like yeah. ground zero was PB's yeah. Playhouse. Again, it was just sort of like nihilistic or at least chaotic. Yeah, I don't think they had any idea when they were making PB's Playhouse what an impression they were making on the young generation and even well, younger generations. This is what great so artists do. Born, they yeah. they just do what they do and hopefully the masses receive it even if it takes a century. Well, what I'm receiving this week is Acapulco where we have our own kind of interesting design. We kind of mentioned Jeff's office, but then there's like a great visit to a suite in Acapulco by Crystal and I don't know. We're on a roll here. Anyway, I'm ready to get into this week's episode. Are you ready to get into it? Well, I will say I think the writers got a little bored with Denver and so we've been getting them some international Well, let's get into flair. the episode and then we can yeah. get into that. Today's installment of Dynasty as They Want to Be is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our darlings a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nastypodcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast. And browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. If you need a totally campy escape, and who doesn't right now, they have like over 20 of Jackie Collins' books on there, including my fave, Poor Little Bitch Girl. I'm sure you'll find something you love too. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash nastypodcast to get started today. Welcome back. Oh my God. So this episode is called Acapulco, which we've heard mentioned several times. Well, this is uh, uh, Alexis's old stomping ground. Yeah, right? I guess she lived there. I'm imagining her like in a sombrero and some sort of caftan thing and drinking margaritas. And earlier in this season, she had a little off-screen jaunt to Acapulco because she picked up that pinata donkey for uh, for little Blake. That's right. So I don't know. what Was, was America having a thing with Acapulco back then? Like, 
like this was the place to be. It reminds me of growing up in Florida in the 80s, the Epcot Mexican ride. There was a lot of Acapulco in that. So I think I didn't personally get to go to Acapulco in the 80s, but um, I think, yeah, I think it was a pretty popular tourist destination. Do you want to talk about what we're drinking in honor of this episode, Acapulco? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, Crystal and Blake even have one of these. Like, uh, It's a margarita, but we've, Spicy. we've subbed out the tequila for melon vodka. So it's like one of those That's things. That's embarrassing. Will yeah. you please not talk about it's, that. It's like one of those things like, how did this even make its way into the liquor cabinet? I don't know. Maybe because somebody knew somebody who gambled their life savings away at a casino and they got this shitty bottle of melon vodka in return. So we we inherited this as a Christmas present or something. I don't know. Anyway, so it's like, what do you do when life gives you melon vodka? Make melon melon vodka vodka margaritas. margaritas. Well, you've done like a chili salt ram one here. There's no salt. Is it just chili? It's chili salt. I did my best to like make this more than just a a trailer park drink. Yeah, it gives it a nice little kick when you put it to your lips. So um, I guess the trick with with any of these flavored vodkas is they, they sugar them up a tad. And they dial down the alcohol content. Of so, course. So you don't use as much of the other sweet ingredients, which there's really only other one, just triple sec. Um, so you dial down the triple sec. And then you just put it in a blender with a shit ton of ice and hope hope it comes out. I, you just pray. Yeah. But well, I, th- I do think the, the chili rim offsets the, the drink color-wise, too. So you have, like, your green and red, you know, complementary colors, y'all. Yeah. Uh, although I don't know what's so complimentary about fun? green and red because I feel like not even on Christmas are those colors that belong next to each other. But Bah humbug in May. Anyway, besides Acapulco, there's also a trip to Washington, D.C. I mean, there's a lot of like uh, globe well, we got trotting some going on. We got some uh, some Paris name dropping. Uh, we, yeah, you got it all. Yeah, they're really expanding the scope of this so world. International. We kind of pick up where we left off last week with Congressman Neil McVeigh. Alexis's boudoir charms did not work. So the good congressman is going to D.C. with Blake. And um, it's so funny. He just gets totally bought off. He gets a free ride in the PJ and all you can drink Bloody Marys. I have to think that this is, there's like some weird homosexual subtext that I'm making. I'm I'm making it up. Like it's clearly not in this margarita. Not, it's not. What's the word I'm looking for? Implied. It's not intended, but it's just sort of like, oh, well, Blake's trying to like play off what Alexis was doing at the party in the prior episode. So Blake's going to like take the, you know, congressman up in his plane, ply him with liquor. Maybe maybe he can work that angle. Um, obviously, that's not really, really what's happening. But yeah, well, whatever he did works because the loan goes through and Denver Carrington is saved again. I swear to God, this is only the third season. I feel like Denver Carrington has been on the brink of collapse 92 times. This is an example of a sort of small-ish company that is capable of generating large profits, but the swings mean that when it's on a low cycle, you know, things can get dire. Mm -hmm. So I understand that. But I like this idea of like, you know, we can... We can drink and have gay sex in the plane because whatever happens up in the air. Are you getting this gay sex <laughs> thing? Neither. I think Blake's jealous that that Alexis like used her hoochie coochie to like. Uh, although it didn't really work out for her, so maybe not. But I just like this idea that like you know you can drink in the plane because whatever happens up in the air doesn't really happen. 
So it's like, mm, well, maybe maybe he's working this the congressman too. Well, yeah. the timing doesn't work out because if they're leaving Denver and then they're going to go to Washington, and Blake tells Congressman McVean to not drink because they got a lot to do. It's like, wait a minute! By the time they land, like most of the day is going to be over. Am I the only one who understands how time zones work? But whatever it's fun to see the pj and did you notice they installed a television i thought maybe we were going to be watching some video cassette of the blackmail the sexy blackmail that blake has on congressman mcvane but they didn't actually show that no blake's just all talk that's that's all blake does he just talks he just talks like you know if he wants something done he screams at somebody on the phone like but he never really does anything well i was actually pretty surprised at his reaction in dealing with crystal this episode and oh my god crystal's got a lot going on as soon as she sees blake off she's like packing her bags and calling uh, Mark Jennings and having one of her little infamous meetings in the forest. I don't think she's had one of these meetings in the forest with one of her suitors since Matthew Matthew Blaisdell. I don't know. Well, she sort of met with uh, Dr. Parpadelli in the forest at one point, or maybe just... uh, Oh, that's... Yeah, no, they did. It's always like... I don't know, but see, this is what Crystal does. Like, she can never deal with her issues out on Front Street. She never, like, can take a direct attack. Well, she's a kept woman. It's always, like, you know, on the down low. She's just all undercover, but like it mostly backfires on her because she's so powerless and she can just never execute um, her own strategy. But I do think that this episode, she is so much more powerful than we've seen her. I wanted to stand up and give a round of applause when she books this trip to Mexico to go deal with the divorce papers. Joseph, the malicious major domo is like, well, where are you going? Well, what am I supposed to tell Mr. Carrington? And she's like, well, if you don't know anything, you can't say anything. Bye, bitch. What shall I tell Mr. Carrington when he calls from Washington? I mean, this sudden trip. Say that I have important personal business. In Mexico? Yes. Well, where exactly? It's a very large country. I'll be in touch. Well, I have to tell Mr. Carrington something. Joseph, if you don't know anything, there's nothing to tell. I've never seen her so yeah, committed. Yeah, that was kind of a mic drop moment. And the thing is, is that might be the one time she ever won an argument with Joseph. Yeah, she because otherwise, like, I, I don't know that she's so much powerful in this episode at all. But that's the one moment. Well, no, where yeah. Once she, she gets through. to Mexico, she starts acting like a complete nincompoop. Like, I, again, I don't understand why this isn't dealt with. Blake actually later in the episode deals with it very quickly. He's like, the state of Colorado is going to issue you a divorce. It's going to be very cut and dry. But meanwhile, she spent God knows how much money and fuel on getting to Acapulco. Yeah, just she's to like frittering her away Blake's Amex card to go to Acapulco and see a lawyer about a horse. and Which I can't, you know, I can't complain about. Big shocker. Uh, the court system in Mexico, the uh, judge forged documents. Like, who knew? Well, like, Mark Jennings told her in the woods that he got this divorce drunk at a bar. But she still felt felt the need to go check it out for herself. It's like, whatever. I, I love that, that Crystal's basically just a, a bit of horse trading at a bar for mark i mean that's kind of what it boils down to with this yeah there's not really much to the end of their relationship he was a drunk and he went off and left her and they wanted to have kids and he stole money from her it's 
it's not really that interesting tbh no it's really not i mean it's kind of what you've already been seeing and all this just kind of confirms what you already knew but there it is anyway and you have crystal and acapulco at like a i don't know what that is like a, a motel six or what is that it's, i don't know it seemed like a resort from the interior shots but the exterior it's like she was at the sheridan yeah sheridan that's it's a that's a solid sheridan for sure it seems to me that she is probably more invested in mark than she's letting on because she keeps flashing back she's flashed back to losing her God, no more of these like him. fish tank views and then yeah, this episode I, uh, she flashed back to last week which i get it you know in the 80s i don't think they had the previously on dynasty so you don't know right at the top what happened but She's always thinking about Mark Jennings. Well, back then your soap opera IQ was higher too because you actually tuned in every. You episode. were only watching three shows. Yeah, a you week. didn't. <laughs> yeah, you had time, so you did not miss an episode. So you didn't need all of that. But also, what does that imply about the show if you need to recap stuff? Because it's like, oh, well, we know you didn't watch it last time, so here it is. Yeah, even the writers were thinking you're probably getting bored with this Mark Jennings stuff, so we have to keep refreshing your memory. But it all falls apart in the end because even. Oh, so yeah, going back to what I was saying, I kind of liked Blake's reaction to the whole thing. He was very methodical. He wasn't judging her. I, he kind of won me over a little bit in his reaction to uh, for a finding minute, out that his wife isn't really married to him. For a minute, but then like they, you know, they go back to their bedroom in, you know, Denver and have another argument. Here here we go again with Crystal who can't manage her affairs. It's not an argument, it's her being a dumb bitch. Well, yeah, I mean, it it's very much like Blake as, you know, the intellectually driven thoughts and facts and she's just all feelings and fifis and it just everything's murky with her and like oh but mark i was married to him once and i owe him I an need apology to go talk to him. Him. it's like i'm with blake no you don't like, like this lady is very quit cut it. and dry yeah, but you know at this point like i've given up on crystal so none of this surprises me but i'm sure the audience if they hadn't tuned in more than a season ago were like getting aggravated with her yeah i hope so because i totally am i'm with blake i'm gonna storm out of the room i don't care how great that bonsai tree is that you're clip clip clipping i love that bonsai tree because that's basically like crystal she's got small aspirations like this is what she spends her day doing honey did you see that bonsai tree it's the biggest fucking bonsai tree i've ever seen in my life how many bonsai trees have you ever seen in your life three not counting ones from karate kid oh i have never seen a bonsai tree in my life all right i rest my case <laughs> And now, where do you think Mark Jennings' head is at? Because after he has this... I don't give a shit where Mark's Gen Mark Jennings' head is at. Like, I just This character, I'm so ready for him to be gone. Oh, wow. I don't know. He's oh, kind sorry. Of, I didn't mean to come in hot on that. Yeah, really hot. I'm kind of like curious what he's thinking, especially after Fallon goes to his room, noticing that he's emotionally bereft. And I love that she's just... She's kind of her mom's daughter she gets a big old bottle of dom Perignon and some glasses and well, she's like i'm gonna go figure out what the hell's wrong with this guy in some ways she needed la mirage to achieve her own independence like this is this is fallon's purgatory project where she can be the queen of the damned so she knows everything that's going on with mark like mark is like this sort of like kept boy in her lair you know 
And yeah, she shows up with Dom Perignon, just casual, you know, like here's a $200 bottle of champagne. Well, I think that's more for her than him. Oh, it's definitely for her. And she even says as much because it's like this whole episode is sort of underpinned by this idea of a hangover from the Roaring Twenties party the night before. Yeah. You know, in some sense, she's just having some hair of the dog, both in the sense of the, the booze itself and also in this like extravagant champagne. Also, but Mark's the, not having a champagne. The hair day. of the hairy chest of the dog, Mark Jennings, yeah. because she walks in and he ain't wearing nothing but a towel. This guy was like a hunk or something because they wasted no time getting yeah, him. They were all down. in on the Burt Reynolds Playboy spread with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I think if you freeze framed at one point, you could see his like uh, dong da dong dong dong. <laughs> he was doing the shampoo challenge decades that. before. But yeah, you see what his motivations are because Fallon questions his not masculinity but his like sexuality or his prowess and he wastes no time in grabbing her and planting another one of those mustache smooches on her yeah she goes for a mustache right mm-hmm. crystal isn't it i saw you talking on the terrace last night do you want to tell me about it that's none of your business and please take your champagne and leave and please do leave Temper, temper. It's not my fault if you didn't turn her on. Maybe you've lost your touch. Who says? Still think I've lost it? So I was wrong. I don't think she was like... I mean, she wasn't like pulling away. She wasn't as grossed out as Kirby was by Adam. But she definitely was kissing back. So I think... You know, hey, she's a gal who likes attention from men, right? I just feel like this is a mess because I don't really give a shit about Jeff and Fallon staying together, but like No, I also that's don't so want, done. I don't want a storyline with Jeff and Kirby, and I don't want a storyline with Mark and Fallon. So do you want to just stop doing this podcast and watching this show? Because that's like seventy five percent of what's driving the narrative here. <sighs> Well, hopefully we'll get Steven and Claudia back soon. Oh, there definitely was some Steven teases. I was like squealing some when steezes. I saw some steezes. So they've been kind of teasing us with Steven because he's been right, mentioned a lot by Fallon. And then there were some postcards from Hong Kong. And now we actually get some kind of... I thought it was just maybe like a body double, but I guess it apparently was really Jack Coleman because he's in the credits and the the new Stephen Carrington. See, you know, this is that's a real Easter egg. Like you can watch the the title credits as much as you want. You're not going to get all the info. Yeah, they finally don't spoil. They, they kind of bury Jack Coleman in the end credits, but yeah, I guess this is like his first appearance. But, but you can't appearance. see his face. You really no. cannot see his face. You, you basically get a silhouette of like some overmoosed hair. Yeah, you see the hair. You see that he's probably like a foot taller than Al Corley laying in that bed on the oil rig. Lying, lying in that bed. Mm, yes. Oh, no, he's he's totally telling the truth, I think. This is the whole Java Sea thing, it's, it, it's, it's the only reason you would know is because they call it that. And then they play that damn racist kung fu music again but yeah apparently steven is just toiling away on a on an oil rig and that's where he's been and he's got some friend who's reminding him that he's a rich carrington and he shouldn't throw that all away well you have to well that's kind of a i feel like there's something from a dickens novel i forget now but there's 
something to be said for the character that points out to another character that they are owed an inheritance and have a family name and how that friend is not really a true friend. I'm sure it comes back later, but there's obviously some breadcrumbs being dropped there, I think. Yeah, I just didn't think that we were going to be having this much Steven this quickly in the third season. So well, they keep name dropping him like mm-hmm. the last few episodes. So they're trying to keep him on the audience's mind, even though unless you were here for season one and a half, you don't even know who this guy is or why is he? Why do they keep talking about him? Well, and Other I than thought- for him to be like a punching bag for Adam to like call out to you know Alexis that he's like the homosexual failure son, right? The wayward homosexual, mm-hmm. which is weird because I thought the whole thing with Al Corley leaving and them making him gay and then straight with Sammy Joe, the fact that they keep sort of dropping these. or at least Adam Carrington keeps dropping these like homosexual references. It's like, okay, we're not totally flipping the switch on this character here. Also, we're not flipping the switch on what his sexuality is. We've gone back and forth so many times. and I haven't. I have maintained that he is bi. Bye, bye, bye. Well, yeah, and... I, I was, you're not going to get much evidence from this particular episode. However, Hell, you can't even see his face. Adam refers to him as a homosexual. Of course, that's because in the time, anybody doing anything that wasn't mm-hmm. P and V man and woman was just going to be classified as homosexual. Oh, yeah. If you so, even looked at a dick, you were a gay. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure how much of this is cultural context versus what the actual character just, uh, you know, is up to. But mm. That's not going to be settled today, so. Well, yeah, it may not be settled ever because at the end of the episode, that oil rig explodes. So I guess he's dead. So by not bisexual. I mean, like by like you're dead now. We know you're not because we know that Jack Coleman plays this character for many years. So I've been spoiled. During Mark and Fallon's like weird reverse housekeeping role play sex thing that they're doing or not, I, I don't know. Mark refers to his taxes in 1776. Okay, let's blame the IRS. They're auditing my tax return for 1776. I think there's like a scene earlier where Kirby is talking to Fallon and makes a reference to 1776. And so like I'm starting to wonder, are like Mark and Kirby... Is this why we hate them so much? Because they're like time travelers from 1776. <laughs> There's total outsiders. They don't belong here. And I knew there was something to it. And I think I finally figured it out. They're from the past or yeah. they're stuck in the past? But they're, either way, they're not working. And I think I, I think that's why. Because they, they're from some other time period and they don't belong here. And they need to go back to wherever the hell they you know get in their DeLorean. And go I think you hour. just don't like the new people. Well, you know who doesn't like Kirby... That's her damn daddy. He is fucking... He practically bends her over his knee and paddles her bottom like uh, like Mark Jennings was threatening to do with one of his tennis instructees a few episodes ago because he sees her That's not the kink I would, with I would go with with him. I think he just likes to watch. Oh, I don't think he likes to watch. It's like Fallon said. Well, Kirby, maybe he likes to hate watch. Kirby is a little girl in his eyes and a virgin, and the fact that he knows that she has this failed relationship on France, and now he sees her massaging Jeff Colby's shoulders 
inside the Carrington mansion. I think he spent a little too much time watching that happen, though. It did seem like he probably was watching for at least like five minutes or something. Which is about long enough to get off in the rose bushes. But what was he supposed to do? Like go in and break them up and not let them touch each other? I mean, if he's as bitchy as we all think he is, he probably would have done that. So I think he likes to watch. I don't think he would have been able to pull Kirby off of Jeff. My God. God, she well, is so hot and bothered for th- this man. I think Kirby's a Jezebel. Yeah. She's, she's been sent from another land to disrupt everybody's... Or another time. Yeah, or another time theory. for that matter. And like she's like dressed like a kindergarten teacher. Her clothes are terrible. Going on like a, a randy but unsatisfactory happy hour at Ruby Tuesday. I don't know. There's something about Kirby and her look in this episode specifically that's just highly suspicious. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. I think maybe she is a slut on the DL, but she dresses kind of prim and proper to hide the fact that's that because she's... I think she's a psycho because she even says these like psycho babble lies about baby's first words. Oh yeah, and she's then... lying to both of the, both yeah. Fallon and Jeff. And then she's like but then she uses that to seduce Jeff in the drawing room essentially. And then like she has like the nerve to say to her papa do you think I'm a fallen woman? I mean, she's a Jezebel. She's a Shiksa. Well, like, we learned in this episode here. that she was basically a mistress. I thought maybe she was a prostitute, but I guess she was just a mistress. So she she likes that role, I guess. I think she likes being the other woman. But now, do you think Jeff is really into her or is this lead paint just obfuscating his true feelings? No, I think like a true psycho, she's taking advantage of the fact that Jeff's got impaired judgment right now. She doesn't know that he's been inhaling that crazy shade of teal. Right, but I think she senses it because, she, again, she's a psychotic. And so she knows that she she's got an entry it. point to take advantage of somebody in a moment of weakness. I don't know. Which I also get from Adam. Oh, uh, now talk about psychotic. Adam and Adam and Jeff in Jeff's office. Ooh, that's, that's also another homoerotic moment. Like, you can tell that Adam is sort of imposing a sort of, like... M- masculine gaze on him and but see he knows that he's impaired because he adam's obviously the one who put the magic paint on the walls oh i didn't think that was as crazy as him coming out of that elevator at colby co and grabbing kirby immediately and she was clearly recoiling the whole time i mean that was like a weinstein moment well because all the way through this is like how two signs aren't compatible two psychos aren't compatible like there's only room for one psycho in a relationship and like kirby and adam are never going to work out on that level i think we were if we were to lock them in a mental ward together he would definitely be put in the padded room and she would at least be you know, let out into the yard to play for an hour or two. Well, Adam can be as creepy as he wants with Kirby, but he can't be creepy in front of his mama because she fucking puts the smack down on him. Just remember one thing, Adam. I know more about Colby Co. and about life and about everything than you do. And I can still teach you a few things. Such as? Such as manners, for one, as I taught your brother. The wayward homosexual. The always polite and sometimes misunderstood young man was far too well-bred to ever be rude to his mother. I suggest that you use Stephen as your example whenever he finally decides to come home. I mean, it turns out Blake's 
Blake gives better head than Alexis does. God, you are obsessed with Blake and the congressman having some sort of I sexual think they're, they're liaison. I Mile High Club stuff. But anyway, but Adam calls out Alexis and says something about... Should we put your like gay dynasty fanfic on our Patreon? Patreon.com slash nasty podcast? No, because it's, it's kind of half-baked. There's... Everything I've said is already more than what's on the screen. Okay, so. we'll work on it. No, what what happens is Adam and Alexis getting this little tiff at that, you know, they've been doing this because they're locking horns. Well, she has to keep constantly sort of asserting her power. Right, but he says something about Blake calling her manipulative. And she says, ha, I invented that word. And this is ultimate Alexis. This is more of like Alexis's origin story. Like, of course, of course she invented the word manipulative because that's what we've always known about this character and it's just it's a, one of these just like it's it's punctuation no i love the fact that this little twerp thinks that he can play in the same sandbox box as his mother and even father and nah any happening go back to the the paint store bro or billings montana Ooh. now it's time for us to choose our looks of the week there wasn't after Last wah, week's wah. historical, monumental extravaganza. This week was a little lackluster. I think but they're trolling us because we bitched so hard about all the costumes <laughs> at the party. Well, okay. Well, we bitched about it last week. However, this episode was made, you know, 38 years ago. Um, 1776. <laughs> no, the only outfit that made me tingle was once... Crystal got to Acapulco. She had this all white look when she met with the the Mexican lawyer with the worst haircut ever. He looked like a member of the Bee Gees or something. But it was um, um, so to Jeff and Adam. That's true. Maybe they should all just get together and form a tribute band. But no, it was uh, she had like this really lacy and super duper low cut blouse. I don't think we've ever seen this much cleave on Mrs. Carrington before. Well, I know that would seem that way, but we've we've seen some off the shoulder looks with her before, but we we do seem to call it out because oh, it's not crystal like. It's yeah, no no no. This I'm not even talking about the shoulders. I'm talking about the boobies. And I think that Linda Evans probably put some bronzer on for this scene too because she's, well, yeah, she's looking an Acapulco. nice and tan. Um, and I yeah, feel like that's what the top is about. Like it's got that flouncy off the shoulder plunging neckline thing that for some reason the late 70s associated with Acapulco or Mexican. Well, remember we had like more a, chips and salsa. We had, you know, No, like, but yeah, I was going to say, remember Alexis wore that Mexican waitress outfit, which was mm-hmm. kind of doing the same thing many many episodes ago but this is this is much more fashionable than that and i love the belt it's got like a big bronzy detail and you know she's paired it with a nice pair of high-waisted high-waisted mom of course it's always gonna be mom mom pants with with crystal but i don't know i thought it was like a fun easy breezy fun i just checked into my hotel in Acapulco look and a meeting with the divorce lawyer. I mean, you could not wear that today. I could not wear that today? How dare you? I have the body to pull that off. 
Kyler, what was your look of the week? My look of the week is only because it's in contrast. What the hell is Alexis flitting around in her penthouse apartment in Mirabu feathers and satin you know it's like so inappropriate with her son like i don't even know if that's appropriate with the gardener around but certainly not with her son around like so what is that like she's basically in her like in fancy underwear in front of her own flesh and blood it's just bizarre well but i there's like a row it's like a robe right so she's she's covering the goods up in front of her son she's covering to show though because like then like the the cleavage is out it's all lacy tits well and, it's definitely and and it is like it's sexy. the mirabu feathers like you know cfm look i i don't know there's something about it that i just feel like is inappropriate and then i'm like i'm, I'm reminded of like my friends when we were growing up like you always knew that one kid whose parents like would hang around the house naked <laughs> like, Wait, what? i hope that doesn't happen anymore but apparently that was like just like people would do that i don't know then. what was know. going on in your neighborhood my friends so i'm just getting yeah I'm, I'm just getting like trauma vibes like like parents who are dressed inappropriately or i thought you were gonna say everybody always had that one parent who shopped at frederick's of hollywood i didn't realize you were gonna say naked this is a this is a huge step from naked. I mean, she's she's covered up. I you mean, can't see anything. I mean, it's offset by the fact that she is like sort of like, you know, sauntering around with those like flowing satin and feathers and so that's like a nice thing. But yeah, somebody but then who, when like you kind of like settle in and realize, wait a minute, like this is so inappropriate, like the way that she is undressed. Okay, in front of her that's son. a pot kettle black situation for sure, because you, especially in our quarantine life, you will wear your robe for hours and hours and hours with You're not my son. Nothing underneath. Do you think she's wearing nothing underneath though? She's probably got no panties on. Do you wear panties underneath your robe? Yeah. Well, no, I don't. I just wear boxer briefs, but you know. Let's go do the shampoo shampoo challenge. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another edition of Dynasty as They Want to Be, Kyler. Wax on, wax off. And if you want to support the podcast financially, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash nasty podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast. But, you know, as always, we'll be dishing all of the dirt on Dynasty for free every week wherever fine podcasts are available. But if you want to keep up with us between the shows... You can follow us on social media. We're at Nasty Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Just go to Nasty, N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast, give us a review if you haven't already. We want five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you can review a podcast. Next week, we'll be discussing the episode, The Locket. It's been a while since we've had a jewelry-themed episode.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.